This is Jordan Stewart, and you're listening to Sucker Sub. Go listen. I'm Banter. Hey, this is Rob Stone from Fox Sports. You are listening to the Soccer Subs Podcast. Now pay me. Pay me in cash, boys. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for attending the Soccer Subs Podcast, the number one podcast covering soccer in New York City and all over the world. Let's give it up for Ronnie. Let's give it up for Christian. And let's give it up for you, the Soccer yeah. Subs Podcast. The Soccer Subs Podcast. It's game on. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, episode 13. My name is Ronnie. I'm your host. I am joined here by my two Soccer Subs co-hosts, Chris and Hugh. This is a holiday edition episode. Fellas, how you guys doing? Quick intro, Ron. Number 13, the number of Jason and the number of players I want the Red Bulls to bring for next year. Thank you. Thank you so much for everyone for listening to this episode. I'm so happy to be here. We have a great interview. And for me, I just want to say thank you so much to the fans for listening thank you to our guests for being so nice to us and giving us their time to to be with us i appreciate you all yeah i for once i agree with everything that christian said um <laughs> but thank you all for listening this is probably one of my favorite episodes that we're releasing and you you need to stick all the way through this episode because our guest is possibly one of the funniest people to ever play professional soccer so like you need to listen to this one and uh yeah thank you for listening to the episode make sure to check us out on instagram soccer subs podcast same thing on twitter Twitter and subscribe to our YouTube if you haven't already. Thanks for listening. And I hope you really enjoy this uh, in this interview. And yeah, fellas, like you guys said, we got a big interview coming up for you guys today. This is a holiday edition episode. We have the one and only Jordan Stewart joining us in a little bit. This man played for Phoenix Rising. He's, he's played for the San Jose Earthquake. Really fun guy. We're talking his career. We're talking MLS. We're talking Premier League. We're talking a little bit of everything. We want to release this one for the fans. Happy holidays. Happy New Year to everybody. Okay. Thank you so much for the support for 2020. Hopefully 20 2021 is a big year, a better year for everyone. We know it's been a rough year. Jordan Stewart's coming up next. Let's go. All right, soccer fans, we have a big guest joining the show today. This man's had a crazy impressive 19-year soccer career. He's a former English pro soccer player who's played in the Premier League and the Championship with Leicester City. He's also played in the MLS with the San Jose Earthquakes. He's also played in the USL with Phoenix Rising. He's also played for other big clubs, just like Watford, Coventry City, and he even spent a season in the Greek Super League. Let's please give a warm welcome to the one and only, Mr. Jordan Stewart. <laughs> that's our soccer subs intro jordan thank you so much for being on the show thanks for having me guys appreciate you being on the call with us especially you know cross-continental you know you're in cali we're here in new york so really appreciate your time from over there we got to start it off jordan first things first how have you been man you know really excited to have you on the show you know we saw that you retired from football back in 2017 what yeah. have you been up to ever since and how's the past few crazy months of 2020 been treating you yeah so the interesting thing about when i retired i kind of tell a lot of pros it's especially just players in general because I was lucky enough to have as you said a long career but coming towards the end I already knew that I was going to be retiring so the transition for me was easier a lot obviously a lot of pros don't have that if they get injured and I think there needs to be more in the game where the bridge of playing soccer or football and then coming in we always call it the real world right because <laughs> you're always sure. 
you must feel in a bubble when you when you're playing football. So for me, that transition was easier, and I literally like just took two years off. Didn't work, nothing. Like I had a. Had hey, you child. need that. You need that sometimes. Just to yeah. I had another. Yeah, had. had another child, so I was I was playing daddy daycare for a year, and then after that, I was one of my friends, Nick Swinman, who was the uh, founder of Zappos. Like we we met when I used to play for the San Jose Earthquakes. And he's always building these different concepts or ideas. So I'd, I'd like hit him up. After a year, and I was like, I need to just get out of the house. After working for like 19 years and like being outside all the time, so then being inside, like looking after my little one, which is obviously I love, but it was kind of like the, the time of, okay, now I want to get back on a horse. And obviously money doesn't last forever. So I need to, I'm going to have to right. work. <laughs> I'm going to have to work, right? So I hit him up and I was like, if you got any concepts or anything, like let me know. So then a couple of weeks later, he hit me back and was like, are oh, we doing this thing called Green Park Sports, which is basically this app, this platform that's going to kind of create ultimate fan them within across all sports. So I went down, met the CEO, Ken Mine in Calabasas, California. Looked at the app and was like, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. So I was brand development manager there. Started October 19 and then obviously COVID came in. And because it was a start, they had to get rid of like 25% of, of the company. Oh, and man, yeah. my role, I wasn't really doing much until we'd launched. And we, obviously, because we hadn't launched then, I was like, well, I'm going to be one of the one of the people that's going to that gonna go. And I was 100% uh, I was supportive of it because I understood that how the business world works, right? So left there and then Nick was like just work for me directly so he had a company called usr studio which is basically his company and then underneath that he creates all these different concepts one being dozen boxing that we just launched last week primeras tacos which is a takeaway spot in Burlingame. another stealth project that he's that he's doing and then we was doing another one called super villains started on that and it was kind of embracing the role of athlete doesn't have to be that a student kind of like quarterback typical character right rather than you can be who you want to be and still be successful but then obviously with the black lives matter i didn't want to kind of tie villains to sports athletes so we kind of just got rid of that straight away and then so we, we started building these concepts and now i'm project manager at dozen like i said we launched last week so kind of just been it's good having a job where it's fitness so i can stay fit so <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm keeping the weight down <laughs> oh man no, that's, an, that's an amazing couple months so yeah i mean and jordan just to kind of start off the interview like first real question i mean first things first we looked up how you got started in your career and we saw that you signed for ashton villa at the age of 10 we had yep. to ask you you know how you fell in love with the beautiful game and what were your parents thinking at the age of 10 you know signing for ashton villa so young i mean here in the u.s i think we're used to saying maybe 14 15 year olds like kind of yep. starting off in the academy but a 10 year old like you know from a young age my dad was a, a manager of a semi-pro soccer team and i'd always remember going to the games and at halftime i'd hand out the oranges to like all the <laughs> and that like and it just stunk of like hot like deep heat like <laughs> that the dude would put on their legs and I remember just like carrying the balls and like watching the games and me and my dad would always watch all the soccer games so kind of like when it came to sport it was all I knew was soccer and, and in England it's soccer rugby cricket and rugby and cricket for the most part is for like a lot of private schools and that kind of those if you look at the pros that have come from rugby teams and cricket teams they'll mostly go to like private schools or in the affluent areas and for me it's just football playing in the street right so I was just I was playing playing with a Sunday team and then I think a scout from Aston Villa came to see me and was like oh we want you to come down and like train with us so my dad was a Aston Villa fan as well so he was like, so 
went there. A dream come true. Yeah, exactly. So I was, I was down there, like, I don't know, like train, train for a bit. And then they was like, okay, well, we want him to sign. And then literally signed and stayed there till the age of 16. And then age of 16, when we was, everyone was going to get, because we left school, we leave school at 16. So it's like, okay, everyone's going to get their YTs, YTSs, which is youth training scheme, which is you go, you sign like a two or three year deal and you go to school as well at the same time. So I was waiting to see if I was going to get signed at Aston Villa. Received a letter, and then my mum's like, "Oh, you got a letter from like Aston Villa." So I'm all excited, like open it. He's like, "Sorry to say, you've been like released." So I was like, I was devastated, but I think with my the way my dad is, and like he's like such a positive person, and he, he doesn't believe in like if something negative happens, it has to affect the rest of your life, right? So he was like, "Don't worry about it. Like you'll get another team." And then I think I went to like exit games for like players that had been in academies for like two days, and they all played together. In like a scrimmage so I remember playing in that and Reading said we wanted to come down and play a game for us so I was like okay I played a game and it was like okay we wanted to sign you and then that was the next week they wanted me to go down watch the first team play a game and then sign a contract meanwhile Leicester wanted me to have a trial on the Wednesday and he was in he was in Leicester night game I can't remember who the team was against played in the game and right there and then it was like oh, we wanted to sign him like three year YTS and at that time I was like well Reading was in championship or division one then and Leicester was in the Premier League but there was kind of like a small knit team and it just felt like the best thing to do because I felt even though there was in the Prem I still felt like if I did well enough I could progress into the first team signed for them for three years first year awful like I don't know if because I was growing or <laughs> what but like the first <laughs> year yeah I was like because I was always like one of the smallest in my team I used to play left wing all of a sudden hit 16 started growing and they used to call me like baby Bambi because I was always like falling over <laughs> so I don't know what for whatever reason like first year was like atrocious so then second year came back started doing well found my feet then played a few games for reserves and then I remember there was about 13 or 14 injuries of the first team and back then it wasn't like okay we'll get a lone player from this team or this team it was like okay the players in the reserves are the ones that are up. so on the Friday coach Steve Wolf would come up to me and was like oh you're gonna be involved tomorrow like in a squad so I was, I was buzzing I was like yeah First of all, I was buzzing just training with the first team. And second of all, he said, oh, okay, you're going to be involved. Didn't think really much of it. Just obviously told my parents I'm going to be in the squad. So I had to wear like a suit and all that. <laughs> so get to the game. So we're all in the change rooms. And Martin O'Neill, who the manager at the time, always had like a clipboard. So we could turn it over. We'd be all like starting 11 and like subs. So then I'm just like, look, you're not really taking much notice. And then look, and I see like Stuart. So I'm like, I'm on the bench. <laughs> so, so obviously I was buzzing then. Still didn't think obviously I was never going to come on. So games going on, playing West Ham, and they had like Paolo Di Canio, Paolo Wancha, Rio Ferdinand, Frank Lampard, Michael Carrick. So like their team was stacked already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So first half plays out and then warming up second half as you do, like just on the sideline, stretching. And then I just hear my name. I'm like, me? He's like, so I'm like, as I'm running, I'm like, my heart's beating. In my heart's just here, like I just feel nauseated, like feel sick. So I go out, run now. It's like, okay, you're going to play just, just behind the front two, just energy, like back and forward, like tackle, just be aggressive, cool. Get on. And as soon as it, it's weird, because as soon as you go on, on the pitch, like everything just disappears. Any nerves or anything like that just disappears straight away. I literally just went on. And then I always say like, the, the moment I always remember is like, I took a shot from like 
25, 30 yards and I like hit our scoreboard was like 25, 30 feet above, <laughs> above the goal and I hit it. <laughs> that's, that's what I remember. And we lost, we lost 3-1, but that was kind of my, my, my biggest memory of my debut. It's your professional debut. So do, do people prepare you for that? Like, you know, you're going to play, you know, on your debut, you know, what is going through your mind? How do you prepare for that? Like, do they talk to you about that when you, when you were going to play? No, nah, the, the only thing, the only way they prepare you is how you train because okay. the week's previous obviously i'm training the first team so i'm getting used to the speed i'm getting used to the physicality of like the players i'm getting used to how martin o'neill and steve wolford like talk to the players very like direct you know what i mean it wasn't like oh come on guys like swearing and like all that kind of stuff so he was immersed in kind of how it would feel in a game without knowing who your opponents are For me, that's the only thing that you get provided before you play. And then other than that, it's just sink or swim. Like that's that's <laughs> ultimately like if you're either ready or we're going to find out that you're not and you're not going to play again. So it's, it's like you have to take your chance and kind of like any sport, maybe like more so like NFL, right? Like someone gets injured, second guy comes in, third guy comes in, makes a couple of plays and then it's like, okay, now we can trust you. Now you're going to be involved more. And it's and it's similar to, to soccer. It's can we trust you to to do your job? And, and I think back then, maybe more so than that there's a bit more patience of okay he's young we know he might make a few errors but overall do we trust him to do the job we're asking him to whereas now you might get a couple of games there's so much at stake now in the premiership like money wise even to stay in the premier league is 180 200 million like to just stay in the league so for them it's they ain't got time to mess around and like give a guy like two three months and i think that's why if you look and my nephew plays as well he's 13 in a minute he signed his first contract when he was eight so he, <laughs> he got you beat jordan yeah he got <laughs> uh, yeah, but for him, I always look and I'm like, how easy is is it for him to break through the team compared to like when I was his age? You know what I mean? Because at the minute, I, I feel like if someone gets injured, okay, they'll get a lone player from here or a lone player from there or January window coming, they'll be like, okay, we need five more players to sign to make our squad bigger. There's no real young players coming through uh, apart from a few teams, in the, especially in the Premiership. And then when you go to lower leagues, the issue is the Premier Leagues, the squads are so big, like say Man City, for instance, they've got, I don't know, pros, probably about 50 plus. Not all of them are going to play for the first team. So what they do is they send them on loan to, I don't know, your Charlton's and, and those teams in the in the champ and first division and they'll say as long as you play him the player will pay his wages so for Charlton they'll probably get a, a player that's better than most of the players there and they don't have to pay his wages so then it's a domino effect right the then the younger player at Charlton is then struggling to get through that team to do well to then showcase his skills for then a premier team to buy him so it's kind of like a domino effect of getting into a first team at any level yeah and you see that a lot I think we had Jack Harrison one of the closest one where he had to go to Leeds yeah And then prove himself, you know, but you, you spoke about your nephew, which is something that I wanted to talk about. Like at a younger age, I wanted to know when I was 10, I was getting my butt kicked in karate class by kids <laughs> younger than my age and you're already playing professionally. <laughs> How can you describe or what can you tell us about the professional clubs academies back in England? How does training uh, look like? How many times you train a week? How do coaches help develop players back home? I think now it's, it's got better due to technology recording of 
have games and training sessions and that. But say my nephew, for instance, he'll train twice a week on Fridays. He would leave school early at like midday to go and train. And then on the weekends, he's playing obviously against the other academies like your Man U's, your Chelsea's and all that kind of stuff. And then they get provided like, a, not iPad, but something similar where they can kind of look back at the game and then give provide feedback and the coaches will provide feedback with them. And I think just in general, it's it's more of a, they spend a lot more time on academy and he's at Birmingham City and they can see someone like Bellingham and, and these people that can go for high transfer fees. So I think the way a lot of clubs feel outside of the, the premiership is, well, if we put 500,000, a million into the academies and we sell one player for 10 million, it makes sense. Whereas I think it was Macclesfield or one of them teams, I think they were spending around about 300,000. Players wasn't coming into the first team and they wasn't getting sold. So they just, they scrapped it because it was like, well, the business model's not working. So I think ultimately it has to do with the business model on, okay, we're providing this infrastructure for the for the kids. And then ultimately, can we make money somehow? Even though that sounds like it shouldn't be the way, ultimately it is. And, and obviously, but in the same breath, yes, the players are learning younger, the the getting provided more education in the in the realm of like soccer. So for me, it's, it's, it's a win-win, but sometimes obviously you can take advantage of that. But he's happy, he's, he's playing. Like I never tell him he's, he's going to make it. I always a harsh critic to him. So uh, that's all, yeah, as long as he's enjoying it. That's for me, that's that's the main thing. And like a couple of my friends that, that still know, 14 that was at Aston Villa with me, went to Lillishaw, which is kind of like a school of excellence that all the best players used to go and go to Lillishaw for two years, finish school there. And then they signed for like Man U, at 16 and never made it. You know what I mean? And at that time, we was all like, definitely going to make it. But sometimes just people evolve earlier and then peter off. And some just are late bloomers like myself and then manage to manage to hang on for a while. You're too <laughs> modest. You're too <laughs> modest. <laughs> I was going to ask you, started talking about your debut with Leicester. Do you, by any chance, kind of like think about it? What if I would have chosen Reading? You know, would life would be different for you? Um, I don't really, to be honest, because I, I feel like that was the right path at the time. And I always feel like the decisions I always make are the right ones, whether for positive or a negative effect on on the outcome. Just at that time, Leicester just felt like the, the right place for me. And it wasn't too far away from my house, even though I had to move house because I think you had to live within 45 minutes to stay at home. So I literally moved away from home, 16, with a family. And then I think there was about 14 of us in this two houses combined together. And then we was looked after by a family and we'd wake up, go training, come back. Dinner was at 5.30. We'd all be like watching. It was kind of like a big frat house. <laughs> and then just be, yeah, just, like kind of just hang out and watch football watch watch friends and stuff like that so it's kind of the whole experience of that was kind of like my college 16 and 19 and then at 19 I moved out on my own and it for me it was good to leave leave home because it gave me that independence and it kind kind of helped me like find who I am but then also feel like I wasn't restricted in kind of like okay especially my dad is always like you should have done this, you should have done that. So it kind of like it gave me a little separation of like, <laughs> I don't even have to get it one day of the week when I, when I played games. So. <laughs> living but free, yeah, living free on your own. <laughs> exactly. But like obviously without without my parents, I would never have got to, to where I got, right? Um, and like I said, my, my parents have always been positive towards towards me, like trying to trying to be successful in whatever I do. So and hey, Jordan, just a quick question for me. Um, I mean, looking at your career and you were with Leicester City for roughly, I believe, six years, which okay. which is amazing. And during those six years, uh, we see that you got promoted once and relegated twice. 
So my question for you uh, during those six years was, how did you and the team kind of keep your head up? I mean, obviously it's ups and downs. How did you guys stay motivated and kind of, you know, how did you guys stay determined throughout those six years to, you know, throughout through the relegations and then through the promotion and then relegated again? Uh, how, you know, how do you keep your head up, man? It was, it was crazy because I think in those six years, I had maybe six or seven different coaches. And it's like when a coach comes in, you have to prove yourself every time, right? And I was lucky that I had, when I was playing, a lot of the guys were older, like Frank Sinclair, Andy MP, Les Ferdinand, Brian Dean, who I call my mentor, because he would, me and him used to live in the, the same apartment building. Um, so I had these guys kind of like, tell me not, not all the pretty stuff about like soccer, right? Tell me like what it takes, how you have to behave after, after the field. And I remember the year we got promoted, which was kind of like a, a big season for us. We went, we went into administration. So we had to defer, I think I deferred like 17.5% of my wages. So, and the only way we was going to get it back is if we got promoted. So <laughs> it was one of them ones where at the start of the season, everyone was like, well, we need to get promoted because at first we didn't want to defer because we was like, well, it's, we're getting paid. We've signed a contract. We don't want to defer any money. And then it was a case of, well, if you don't, then members of the staff, wherever in the front office, like people at the training ground, like they would, they would lose their jobs. So in the end was like, okay, cool. We'll defer money. And then we just went on, a, went on a member, just went on a roll. It was just like, kept going, kept going, kept going. And then yeah, ultimately got promoted and luckily scored the, scored my only header. Well, in a, in a proper game against Brighton. So <laughs> that, was, that was kind of like one of the, one of the best seasons I was there, but yeah, relegation is, is always tough. Basically we got relegated and got promoted next year. So when we got relegated, we thought we was going to be losing like Moisey, Robbie Savage, all these players that we knew was, was good for the team and probably wouldn't be able to replace them because we wouldn't be able to buy anyone because we didn't have no money. But heads up to them, like they they stayed. And I think they both had offers to, to go to other teams, but they was they, they stuck in and got promoted. And that was kind of like one of the seasons where I always look back on is like, when you go through adversity and you know what I mean? And it's like, you come through the other side and you get promoted and you see how much it means to everyone and how much it means to like people within that organization. It was, for me, it was kind of huge, but yeah, relegation is the worst. Well, I always joke about like the MLS is like, there's if you don't make the playoffs, it's like, okay, oh, well, like next we got next year. You know what I mean? It's, there's no, that, that fear of like, when there's like two games left and you have to win one or you have to like get two points or something like that. It's, and it affects your whole life because when you get relegated, you, your wages get cut 50%. So it's not like we just got relegated. No, it's going to change your whole life. So. Yeah. You don't, you don't have that calmness. Like, oh, there's always next season or better luck next <laughs> time. Yeah. It's like, okay, guys, like, yeah, we didn't make the playoffs. I'm like, this is not pressure. Like, this is not, like, not changing your life. <laughs> you know I mean? There's a lot of debates here in the U.S. on whether, you know, relegation would be good for the MLS. We don't see it happening anytime soon, but you know, it's always been up in the air. When you got MLS team getting sold for like 250 million and then a USL team, I think it's like 5 million to buy. It's like... <laughs> no, no wonder when you score that goal, you had a, quite a celebration. A lot of fans, <laughs> a lot of fans still remember it. <laughs> I've done a little show for and I remember Paul Dickoff always stopping me, stopping me from dancing. I always give him stick still to this day. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, one of the things that, you know, I think you spoke about it, apart from the uh, financial gap, you know, sponsorship and, and TV revenue, what are some other differences playing in the, in the Premier League and the Championship? I think the Championship is probably one of the toughest leagues in the world in regards to like, it's, it's kind of just nonstop. 
you're playing 46 plus games. I remember one season, I think I played at Watford, I played like over like 55 games. And it's like Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. It's like, it's frantic. It's like up and down. It's, you know, like in the Prem, some like normally the goalkeeper can get it, like pass it out. Like in the championship, there's none of that. Like, <laughs> but when I was playing, I think there's a, a bit more so now, but you know, every game is going to be like super demanding and it's it's just relentless. For me, it's, it's just, it's one of them leagues where it's, you can be... 10th position at Christmas and go on a run and then end up third. Like I, I enjoyed it and I think it's it's like every year it's getting better and better. I mean, we played, who do we play? Arsenal. And just in the final third, I was playing left back. If you turn off for like half a second, you're done. And that's, I think the biggest difference is when a team's in the final third, it's everything's just like super quick. Like you can't, you turn off for one second, teams like that, like I think there's Henri, Burkamp, Perez, Lundberg, Vieira, Petit, like <laughs> if you switch off for one second with these guys, they're, they're going to destroy you, you know what I mean? So that would be the biggest difference of the, of the comparing the two. Now, one of the things that I also wanted to ask you, which moment was better for you, the promotion with Leicester or the promotion with Watford? <laughs> I, get, I get asked this a lot and it's always a tough one because like I said, for the reasons with Leicester, it was more, it wasn't just to do with us as a team, it was the community, right? And the, the whole organization that would have affected. And then with Watford, it was, I think we was favorites to go down that year from the championship to division one. We was the favorites, one of the favorites to go down. There was a manager that I'd never heard of in my life. And he just rang me up when I was at my friend's house. And he was like, Lesser send an agreement to Lesser City to, to buy it. And I'm like, I got, I got a year left on my contract. So I rang my agent is like, can you speak to Lester? Because <laughs> Watford's telling me like they've, they've put a bid in for me and Lester's accepted it. So agent rang me back. He said, yeah, uh, they've accepted it. So I was like, okay, let me go and meet, meet him, A.D. Boothroyd. And he, he lived in Bromsgrove, which was around the corner from where I lived. So I went to see him. He's like, listen, you're playing left back, but I just want you to bump forward. Don't worry about defending. If they score four goals, I'm going to score five. And at the time, like I used to play a guy playing left midfield or playing midfield. Like, I don't want to just stay at the back and like punt balls into the corner. You know what I mean? So I was like, cool, I'm in. It was like, okay, we're going to sign you three years. I said, fine, I'll sign. So then went down there and it was good because, and it's probably that, that season as in like man management for me was the best season I had because he would break down the season into six games. You'd say, okay, these are the six games. How many points are we going to get? And we'd all, we'd all be in a room and we'd say, okay, we're going to get X amount of points. He'd be like, okay, if you get X amount of points, you'll get a PlayStation and like big plasma TV. Cool. So now obviously as we're winning more, we're like, okay, now we want to do this. And I remember, I think it was the January window where you normally have the break. We said, okay, if we win, if we get, I think it was about 15 points. If we get 15 points in these six games, we go to Dubai. And I remember we beat, we beat Coventry and I remember Marlon uh, King's celebration was like pretending to be on a deck chair. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we got to go to, uh, got to go to Dubai that year as well. Oh, and then wow. having the final against Leeds where we was underdogs as well. And then going on to win that, it was, it was both special, but I don't think I can name one because it's, it's the reasons were so different and they, they both meant so much. There was both great times for me. Yeah, I think uh, scoring maybe pushes a little bit more for the Leicester City fans. So I yeah, don't know. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a Leicester fan, Leicester, if you're Watford fan, Watford. We sort of talked about uh, a lot about the sort of the championship. And for me, as, as sort of like an American fan, you're always sort of introduced to the Premier League as sort of like the, you know, that's sort of the gold standard of, of football. Yep. And then the more you learn about the championship, the more endearing it becomes. And, and every person I've ever met who's a championship fan or who supported a team that's been in and out of the championship has always been like, you will never beat the atmosphere you have in a championship stadium, in a championship game 
or yeah. like in um in like a promotion playoff game is it is it really true that when you play in the championship and when sort of you're, you're around that atmosphere it's like none other and there's really nothing that can beat it especially when i was playing like a lot of the championship teams were teams that come from like working class backgrounds so their saturday was this is this is my day to go and watch go and watch a soccer football game i remember like we played qpr and then i was I was on corners and I'm just getting a corner and like just everyone was just like it's probably like six feet apart just hurling abuse at me and <laughs> I was just turning around and I banter with them but it was on the majority of the stadiums were felt closer and there wasn't a, as new and because maybe it comes to the finances as well of like being able to build new stadiums compared to the premiership team so I think that had a bit to do with it and it's just games are coming thick and fast so you get more there's more volume of games right so you get more of a pool of atmospheres to experience whereas i don't know they always say like chelsea's kind of like the the snubs where you, they just go and they just they're just there not really to watch the game it's like a baseball game right you just go to just just to hang out and just <laughs> yeah every american premier league fan is a chelsea fan it's kind of I'm a, I'm a chelsea fan as well so <laughs> How, how, how can you play for a club in the Premier League and then decide to support Chelsea? This is this is <laughs> Next question I had for you was, I believe I saw in 2010, you went over to play in the Greek Super League uh, with a team called uh, Skoda Zanti. We had to ask you, man, what was your experience like playing in Greece? And I think I told you but right before we started recording, we had Marcelo Balboa uh, on our show and he used to play for Olympiacos and he yeah. told us about the atmosphere over there. If you, know, if, if you yeah. lost or if you faced your rival, they would throw uh, rocks at your car and all that. So we had to ask you, they don't play over there we had to ask you your experience play over there at all like we'd play games and there's the net so the net's like i don't know 40 foot and they're throwing the chairs over onto the pitch nico davizas was playing over there for a, a team they lost they come back they had a barricade with like all these cans on fire stoning the coach wouldn't let them we wouldn't let them off the coach for like six hours you know they're rubbish obviously not my enough, goodness but, <laughs> but for me like when i first went over there it was fine like super chill food was nice people was like really good and then january come payments late february come payments late again and i'm like what's going on and it was kind of where the economy was crashing in like Greece and Spain and Portugal and that. Stop getting paid on time. So then when it happened the third time, I said, I'm out. I, I signed a contract to get paid on time. Like I'm not waiting <laughs> six weeks and then that snowball effect after and after. So I said, I'm out. So I just, I think I left in like the March and I just oh, went, wow. went, back, went back to England and then wow. they gave me like two checks. And I'm thinking to myself, these checks are gonna bounce. <laughs> I remember I cashed them in at my bank and then they cleared so I was happy hey, that's a win that's a win although it's not as much of a win that you you get to sort of only spend half a year on the sunny beaches of Greece and then you have, I to, know, right? you have to re-acclimate to England exactly. and go back to England and I was I think yeah like I went home in March and then obviously I wasn't I didn't have a team and then I signed for Millwall in the July I went down there for like a, a week trial and then signed for you. But yeah, the t my time in Greece, like outside of not getting paid on time, like I loved it out there. I was, we had to get like Greek lessons once a week. And it was like me, George Bertang, Nathan Enton. So it was kind of people I knew over there already. And they gave us accommodation, like they gave us a car. So in that sense, it was great. But just similar stories you probably hear about people being in Greece or Cyprus or Turkey. Like when it, <laughs> when it comes to getting paid on time, for some reason, they don't want to do it. <laughs> 
They are a little bit harsh. I know that you you talked in an interview. I think I don't know if it was the owner or the president. I think came down and talked to you guys in the <laughs> locker room. Like right, right that that speech. Yeah, we lost the game, and he was like, "You can speak perfect English, by the way, but he's there speaking Greek and had like interpreter <laughs> speaking English. So he's like saying all these same. Basically, we play like rubbish, and then the interpreter kind of like saying in a way that wasn't to offend us, and he's like, "Yeah, da 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 da," and he's like, "Bam!" Slam the table. He's like, "No, tell him what I really said in English for them to say in English again." <laughs> Had to stay in the hotel for like a week, and the families was only allowed to come over for a certain amount of hours. It's like it was in prison for a week. Oh my god, Matt. that is incredible! Yeah, that is incredible. And then they I, didn't pay I, you on time. Exactly. <laughs> like, what's going on? The only, the only good thing is getting free food, so I couldn't complain too much. <laughs> <laughs> the continental buffet made up for the late check. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Jordan, one of the things that I I also like kind of like relating to that type of situation. We follow you on Twitter obviously on on social media. You posted a video of uh, Omar Niase, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his uh his his name right, but he started he started talking about how Ronald Coleman had uh, this treatment in uh, yeah, when he was right. at a uh, hole. And, and, you know, he was mistreated. He was, you know, cleaning out his, his shirt. Like, he, you couldn't even find him in the locker room, putting him to play with the reserves. You know, my question is, you know, kind of like putting into, like, the coaching hat. What would you have done in that situation if you have a player that, you know, you, you obviously, I guess, it's, it's not the, the player that you want for your system. How would you get the best out of a player instead of and avoid that type of situation? The reason why I posted that was because it happened to me at Derby County. Nigel Clough, but I'll answer the question first and then yeah no no please mm -hmm. so if if for me if if I'm a coach and uh, you don't fit my system or and others if if you have a bad attitude and something like that that's a different that's a different scenario because I feel like you're disrespecting me so I would do the same thing and I'm just trying to like just get you get you out right but if if for some reason you don't fit in my plans or I'm trying to I'm trying to bring in my own players that I feel comfortable using and not using yourself I want to just talk to the player. It's that simple. It's, it's like anything in life. You talk to the player, you say, listen, I don't feel you're uh, the right fit for my team. You may agree with that, you may not. I'm going to do everything in my power to move you on to get your team or just to keep you fit, keep you involved. But just so we know, like, you're not going to be playing on the weekends. But And if you feel like you, you wouldn't want to be here or you, you feel like you're wasting your time, let me know what I can do to provide something where you can leave to go to another team. It's that, it's that simple. It's... Whereas when I was at Derby, Nigel Clough would same thing, had me training in reserves in the morning and then game time, wasn't allowed in the change rooms, had to wait upstairs, had to wait after the game. So we kickoff would be at three, normally finish around five. The goalkeeper coach would come in about six, say, oh, now you can go. So I'd just be in the plaza and just like, just there, like just waiting for him to come in. For me, I never gave him an excuse to find me. So I would always kind of like, play on the fringe so like when he Nozhikov brought me in the morning after a while I'd park in his space in his parking space <laughs> so you actually did do that yes parked in his space. <laughs> so like I'll park in his space and then just do like silly things to like annoying but not enough where he could find me and I'll just be like super loud and then he'd, then he changed it to make me come in the afternoons and all we did we just ran like just used to like make us run and What, what made me mad is the young kids or the reserves, you're changing their schedule and how they train because of how he wants to, to treat me. 
which is not fair for the for them kids, right? Like you can for me, you can do whatever you want. Like it's not gonna matter to me. And I said that like we done at the you know at the start of the year, you do your group, you have your team photo, and like one of the things was like kick racism out. So we all held up our cards, and then for the main picture, he was like, oh, you don't have to be in here. So I'm like, okay, I've got two years left on my contract. So I just went to the front and said, listen, I've got two years left on my deal. I'll probably be here longer than you. I'm getting paid, so I don't care. And then I just walked off. <laughs> so for me, like, there was nothing he could do to affect me. Some, some people, it, it, it did. But for me, just that's that old school mentality. And I didn't, like I said before, like with my, the way my, my, my dad raised me and my, and my mom, like none of that stuff really mad. I didn't, I didn't care. So for me, I was more, I was more pissed off because you're suppressing kids' growth of trying to make the first thing. You know what I mean? And it's that old school mentality. And like, I don't even know where he's, where he's coaching now, but it's not, none of, it's not a high team for sure because of that mentality ain't going to work. And as, as players get more player power and like how social media is, you're done. That old school mentality ain't going to work. So for me, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of them things where it's just communication. You have to, you have to communicate with your players. It's, and like I said, it's, if, you have a, if you're a CEO or whatever in a, in a corporation, you have, to, you have to be able to talk to your employees. You have to know about them. You have to go to a deeper level than just knowing their first name because ultimately when you do that, it's going to help the whole corporation grow. And yeah, that doesn't mean you have to speak to someone for like 30 minutes. We, as you go by, you have to learn more about each employee. You, you'll have a better company overall. And hey, Jordan, one of my last questions I had for you as we try to wrap up soon. You know, in 2013, you made that move to the MLS, to the San Jose Earthquakes, and you've touched on it a little bit already, but what are some of your memories from, from that first year in the MLS that you had? And uh, I was just also looking up some of the teammates you played with, and Jason Hernandez and Medi Bellucci, they are NYCFC founding members. Yeah. Myself and Hugh were NYCFC fans, so they were part of that first squad. Uh, Chris is a Red Bull, so yeah. <laughs> but we had to ask you if, if you had any memories with those guys as well, and kind of just... You're, that first year 2013 for me it was like i'd always wanted to as i got older and then kind of knew where i wanted to be at, and like i said before when i was always coming to america every year for me i i felt like i wanted to finish my career in in america obviously beckham going there kind of put like a, a big spotlight on on the mls and ultimately helped it grow right so for me getting the chance to, to play in mls was first of all like obviously a great and frank frank yallop who was the manager before in 2012 uh, when I went there in the summer just to see what it was like, it was kind of the, the start of my process to, to go to the to the earthquakes. And I just, I just remember it was just like so different. Even the stuff like when we'd travel away, we'd play, like I remember we played Vancouver away. I think we played a, a CONCACAF game on a Wednesday in Montreal. Flew to Vancouver now. And then even stuff like we'd train and then it'd be okay, guys, like see you tomorrow at training. Like go and have dinner on your own. Like in England, when you go to the hotel, it's like go to the hotel, Go to your room, come down in a hotel, have your dinner, and then go back to your room and stay there. Like <laughs> it wasn't like, okay, guys, go and go and have dinner at a restaurant. You know what I mean? It's like for me, it felt so alien because I'm like, if this happened in England, yeah. it's getting in trouble. Like <laughs> nobody can be trusted. So just even just seeing things like that, and like I said before, is like just it's just completely different. And for me, it was refreshing because it didn't. Even though I'm gonna give 100, percent it didn't feel like it was consuming my life. As in the as in the sense of you play when you when you go to train, you can train, and then game time, you, obviously you, you play you give 100. But outside of that, I didn't have. To, I wasn't thinking. Okay, I'm wary of 
if it's one of my friend's birthday and there's a group picture, I can't be in this because if we lose on Saturday, they might use that as ammunition to say, see, he was out on a Thursday, like he doesn't care, even though it's like 40 hours before a game, but that's, in England, that's, they'll find any excuse to kind of give you yeah. negativity, basically. So for me, that was kind of like the biggest refreshing part. And I think over time, even like people like Steven uh, Gerrard, when he's, when he come over, he, he says the same thing, you know, like you can go out and play with his kids, like, no one's asking for pictures and all that. And for them, and obviously they're on a like way bigger scale than that. <laughs> yeah. But like even, even for them, it's like just it's refreshing because you can you can do your job, but it's not 24-7. And mm-hmm. ultimately that's what you want, right? You wanna okay, you that's your life, but it shouldn't consume. And I think the MLS helped me to have that more than when I was playing in England. Even soccer, like in America, anyways, it's when you look at all the other sports. I think it's growing, but it's for me, it's still, it's yeah. maybe there by NHL, but the other mm-hmm. four sports is is way, way above above them, right? So yeah. even players in MLS, and if any of them went to England, it would be the same shock, right? But in a maybe a mm-hmm. more <laughs> worrying way where it's like, well, you can't do this, or if I play yeah. bad, it, it's going to ruin my whole week because it's not just we play bad or I gave a goal away. It's like the fans are battering me. Yeah. I can't go out. If I got family, like what's gonna happen? You know what I mean? And I think that's in that in that aspect, that's where I, I come back to like when when it comes to the MLS of like if someone's coming in and like giving people stick or from a young age, it's not like everyone's receiving awards. It has to start from mm-hmm. that young age where they're realizing it's not it's not gonna be pretty at times. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? <laughs> yeah. If you're not doing your job, someone's gonna call you out. And that's that's the way it has to be. So obviously in the MLS, the MLS is, is sort of one of those leagues where the level of competition is sort of it's there, but it's not obviously the same as it is in Europe. And you see sort of some very high level players coming over to the to, to the States. Obviously, Didier Drogba, like you mentioned earlier, played in the States for well, played technically in Canada, but in the MLS for a bit. Uh, Steven yep. Gerrard, like you mentioned, Ronnie and I, NYCFC fans, obviously David Villa, Andrea Pirlo came and played for us. Frank Lampard played for us. But the sort of the point of what I'm getting at is there's a lot of really high caliber players that you maybe get to play against sort of see the gem of like how good they are as a player. And did that experience come for you in the States or was it in England? And sort of who was that player that you played against? I know you mentioned Drogba. That was like the hardest person to play against or like your favorite person to play against. And and sort of why was that? The most difficult player I played against was Robert Pires when he was at Arsenal. Mm, I remember there's a show in England called uh, Soccer AM and there's a there's like a a section of where they have a thing called showboating where it's like someone not making a player or flicking Mm. over his head and I was on it (laughs) on Robert Pires so so he he, that day at the time people would be looking at like Henri and like Burkamp but just the way he manipulated the ball and how easy he made everything seem yeah Straight away, I was like, this guy's like, and I remember I got his shirt after the game. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was the most, my most difficult opponent. It, and like, and I played against obviously like Cristiano Ronaldo. I think it was different because at the time CR7 was, he was just getting the ball and just like running with it. You know what I mean? Trying to like do yeah. tricks. And that. So in my head, I'm thinking, uh, just don't dive in. Because if you dive in, he's going to make a fool here. Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> whereas he would do it in a way where you thought you could get the ball. And then yeah. all of a pump. <laughs> yeah. I think it's like they wait that extra half a second where you think you can get the ball mm-hmm. and, you, and then you can't. And I think David Silva is, is a prime example. He was the same kind of player. It wasn't like quick, but the way you can manipulate the ball in the yeah. second. Like, and I think that's the difference of like, it's it's that mental process of 
knowing what you're going to do before you know what you're going to do. I think obviously uh, when, when you sort of mentioned that type of ball control, I always sort of pops into my head, Andres Iniesta and like the croqueta move where yep. you like, you pop it from one foot off the other. And, yep. and you just make him look like, I, oh. I used to do that FIFA all the time. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> that's that FIFA hack in FIFA 20, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned about players that you play against. So me and Ronnie are Ecuadorians and he was an honorary Ecuadorian, of course. <laughs> But, you know, in 2006, you played against Wigan and Antonio Valencia, who's Ecuadorian, play in the right flank. And yeah. you had to cover him. So I don't know if you remember anything from, from Antonio yeah. or if you even know who he is. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a beast. He was like quick, strong, and he didn't get tired. Like never, just never got tired. And he was just like up and down. And I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm quite young, right? I'm, I'm quite young, mid-20s. And this guy was just running up and down. He was super strong. And I remember he was, he was faster than me. So I was like, okay, I need to give this guy a couple of yards. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I, weren't trying to, I weren't trying to get, I weren't trying to see heels. So <laughs> I remember that game, it was a tough game. Man. In England, we always have this analogy of like playing on a Tuesday against Blackpool in November. And that's kind of like one of those like Wigan or Stoke games where it's just yeah. like a horrible- The cold, game. rainy night in Stoke. Yeah, thing, it's right? <laughs> I don't know what it is in like in NFL. So it's probably like, I don't know, like Buffalo or something. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just one of them places you From November, who, have, who am I playing up until January? And then you see, it's like Stoke away, like Wigan away. Like, ugh, really? <laughs> <laughs> It's places where the where the grass feels like black tar, right? Like, oh, you know, you just... <laughs> it feels like cement. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like I should be wearing trainers and that studs. <laughs> yeah. From when I was young, every every time I played, I'd always change my whole kit at halftime. The kit men used to get pissed at me, but I'd be like, <laughs> I didn't, because I sweat a lot. So at halftime, I'd have to change my whole kit because when I was young and when I couldn't say oh, I want to change my whole kit, <laughs> when I had like 46 on my back, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'd have to go out and it was freezing. You go outside and like you're, you're soaking wet and like you're cold. And I'm like, this is miserable. So when I was, mm -hmm. uh, when I got out of age where I, I could uh, say I could change all my kit, then from there I always just changed my kit. Playing in Portugal. And it was when the, the orange vapors first come out. And obviously only the top players got them. And then it was warming up and I was looking over and there was two guys wearing these orange boots. I'm like, who are these two guys? Like, how do they get these like vapors? They must be like sick players. One CR7, the other one's charisma. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, they destroyed us. <laughs> yeah, that time, obviously we didn't know who they were. Mm -hmm. These guys destroyed us. Like, I think I, I, think I played center mid that game. Mm -hmm. They destroyed us and then I think <laughs> I think that same season, CR7 went to Man U and my, my friend was a Man U fan. I was like, wait till you see this guy. He's like, unbelievable. So, yeah. <laughs> that was my first uh, sighting of CR7. <laughs> yeah. The beginnings. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, um, who I think, I think uh, speaking of, of sort of like the people like sort of seeing, I think when they, when Man U signed Cristiano, it was after a preseason game against Sporting, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and I think it was... And Giggs, weren't it? Yeah, I think Giggs, he was like, You, we've got to sign this guy before <laughs> someone else dies. <laughs> There was like, we need to sign this guy. Man. And it was, yeah. because for me, I'm a CR7 fan just for the way, like his work ethic. Like for me, Messi's like, has that God gifted talent. Whereas mm -hmm. Ronaldo has kind of honed it to, to, to get to that, to that level. But for me, I just, I prefer CR7. I just think there's nothing he can't do. 
Mm-hmm. Hey, you answered the question. Messi, Messi or Ronaldo? He's going with Ronaldo. Who the hell I'll have any argument with anybody? Yeah. Hey, there we go. Uh, that that might be a left side bias as well, though. So. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Jordan, so play, Jordan, quick, quick question. Uh, you know, wrapping up soon. I wanted to ask you. Uh, we looked up uh, in your USL season with Phoenix Rising playing with Drogba. I mean, you had just talked about him, how much of a beast he was uh, playing against. But what was it like having him on the roster? same team on the 2017 squad because when he when he first when we first heard that he, he was gonna sign in my head i was like he's like 30 i think he was 39 at the time he's coming to the usl obviously he was a shareholder he was he was part of the ownership one is he gonna play a lot two is he gonna really like train is he gonna really really be there so he come and he was like he was like a breath fresh air because when we travel away he would like you travel at the back of the he wouldn't go first class or nothing. He'd be back there with the boys. Everyone's like playing, like all bought like Nintendo Switches, all playing Mario Kart. <laughs> so it is. It was one of the things where, it's, and he's super humble, man. Like one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Someone being so successful, how he is as a person, and you kind of see that with like the charity work and the stuff he does off the field, and just how he trains, man. He's always he doesn't like losing. Like he always trains professionally. For me, he's like a top pro, and like just. Even watching him like take free kicks, he would get, he would get. Obviously, you'd have the goal on on the on the touch, on the goal line. You would get another goal and put it on the eighteen yard line and have that as the wall, and then have a ball ten yards away from there. So he'd be able to kick the ball over the the goal, and it would dip into the into <laughs> the, the goal, and I'd be like, and I'll try and do the technique, and I'm like, if I do this, my ACL is just gonna blow out. <laughs> He's like, yeah, just like hit it on the side like this. And I tried it once. I said, you know what? This is for me. <laughs> this is why I'm Jordan Shue and this is why you're Didier Drogba. Like, <laughs> Man, that is amazing. He, he is human after all. Yeah. But Man yeah, he's is a, human. for me, he's a legend. And like I said, from watching him play at like Chelsea and then just being able to like hang around with him and I've seen that call him a friend. It's, I, yeah, like what you were saying, I remember seeing some of the pictures from, especially I think some of some of the games where even if he wouldn't play, like I remember seeing pictures from like as, as Phoenix players yeah. And you just see him like in the dressing room with the rest of the guys. Yeah. And I remember, I remember seeing that. And I was like, what a class guy, like what a guy, like, yeah. you know, he really, really, he plays with every team. Like it's his prime, like it's his best season because exactly. that's a commitment. That's, he, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't ever feel like he's above anyone else. And he would have like barbecues at his house and like invite the whole team over and that kind of stuff. So it was like, it was, it was, it was a class act, man. He was like, super nice and uh, i think that because especially like a few of the younger boys they was kind of worried of like you know what i mean it's like did he yeah. drug me? like what's he gonna be like and, and when when they found out how he was and how he interacted with he wouldn't just like interact with like the, the older guys from like england like me or sean he would interact with like everybody so mm-hmm. and give everyone advice so for me that was Jordan, thank you so much for your time. I can't believe we've had over an hour with you. Thank you so much for answering our questions so thoroughly. Uh, I mean, you answered it all, man. You answered everything from the Premier League, the Championship, USL, MLS. So we must man. much, sir. The fans are going to love this episode. <laughs> and really quickly, before we before we wrap this up, for people who want to sort of add you on Twitter or add you on Instagram, uh, where can they find you? Where should they look for you on social media? I think my Twitter is Jordan Stewart three, and my Instagram is Jordan Stewart three. All right. All the banter that way. All the banter's there. Ready. <laughs> oh my goodness. Jordan, uh, thank you so very much. I mean, I had a pleasure just speaking with you and learned so much about you and, and football. And hopefully it's not the last time uh, we can speak with you. 
All right. Yeah. But, <laughs> but thank you. Thank you for sitting down with us. Obviously. Thank you. It's been a, a pleasure having you in the show. And thanks for having me, guys.